There's no better time to become a member of the DSR network. Later this month, we'll be announcing a major media partnership to our ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, bringing you even more insight and analysis than ever before. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, an evening newsletter recapping the day's top stories, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of October, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SPOOKY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SPOOKY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf. This being the middle of the week, this is the mothership, the mother of all of our podcasts, the one and only, the original, looking at foreign policy and national security issues. And we are joined by some of our very favorite people, including from distant Tokyo, Japan, in the middle of the night, Corey Shockey. We'll try not to disturb you, Corey, but thank you for joining us. I am looking forward to this conversation, my friends. Well, we're looking forward to it. Many people tell me they use Deep State Radio as a sleep aid, so let's see if that works for you. Um, uh, we, we are also joined in far off Tel Aviv, I think, by our friend Alon Pincus. How are you doing, Alon? I'm good. Thank you, David. And in far off, I don't know, Georgetown in Washington, D.C., we have our friend Ed Luce. How are you doing, Ed? Swimmingly. All going very well, thank you. Going very well. Well, look, uh, obviously, I think we're going to talk about events that take place in the Middle East. Um, uh, And so I think I'll probably start here with Alon. And Alon, the president of the United States, was in the Middle East. Uh, in Israel today. Um, uh, I just wrote a column, which will be up momentarily, that said he took a risk in coming, but it looks like it turned out okay. Please tell me I don't have to rewrite my column. No, 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 no. You're good. I mean, look, there's a downside uh, that we can dissect, uh, uh, but I don't think it's going, it has any lasting significance. And that is that the summit in Amman uh, in which he was supposed to meet King Abdullah of Jordan, uh, President Assisi of Egypt, and Palestinian Authority President uh, Mahmoud Abbas, that was canceled. Um, I think it was a uh, premature and, and not a very smart move to cancel that on behalf of uh, King Abdullah, but uh, you know, I don't know what his considerations were. It was in the context of what had happened last night in Gaza. Back to Biden. I think Biden relayed all the points he wanted to. I think uh, what began 
or was described as a uh, complex, diplomatic, multi-layered um, operation ended well. He succeeded. Again, this is these are all preliminary takeaways. He, uh, <clears throat> I think, he successfully uh, uh, came out with uh, the two objectives that he had here. One is to show genuine, heartfelt, deep support for Israel. He did that, and he did that admirably and profusely. And the second was to uh, hug Israel in terms of uh, debilitating, or limiting, or constricting. Uh, uh, what it plans or what he thought it may be planning to do, meaning he warned Israel. He used uh, 9-11 as his uh, uh, point of reference. He said, look, we were raged and we acted and we sought justice and we got justice, but we also made many mistakes on the way. Don't repeat uh, those mistakes. So in that respect, if the U.S.'s, uh, um, if, if his trip, I'm sorry, if his trip was meant to convey those two points, I think he may, he did it successfully. The two other things, which I'm sure we'll expand about, and I leave it to uh, um, Ed and uh, Corey and you to uh, um, discuss, is you know the two uh, um, major American interests that are at stake here. One is general stability, for which, or toward the end of, he sent, he dispatched the uh, USS Gerald Ford Carrier Strike Group. And second, uh, to prevent um, escalation or contain the spread. That remains to be seen whether he's successful or not. Um, Corey, if you're still awake, I don't know if you kept up with the president's trip. I think Alon um, summarized it pretty well. I will tell you that my own view regarding the postponed summit is it was postponed due to circumstances and not to, due to bad relations with those countries uh, because of the um, uh, disaster at that hospital yesterday. Uh, I think it was postponed prematurely, but I don't think that reflected really particularly in any way on Biden. But but what's your take? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting how much the connectedness of the internet age is affecting warfare because the Jordan and, and others balked believing that the IDF had struck a hospital and killed 500 people. And a, it looks like um, what actually happened is a fake social media account posting video, not of, a strike on that hospital, but on something else, uh, seemed to incriminate the Israeli Defense Forces. And it turns out uh, that actually it was a Palestinian jihadist group trying to launch a rocket from the from the parking lot of the hospital that actually caused it. So I agree with you and Alan that it was the circumstances of a belief that Israel had killed 500 people by striking a hospital, either purposely or errantly, that caused some of the refusals to see Biden. And it was people reacting to bad information in ways that that um, uh, that that may actually reinforce President Biden's message 
part of his message to Israelis. That is that, you know, uh, be careful not to overreact um, and, and commit military, make military choices that will make a stable situation and eventual peace harder to achieve. This, this, David, this makes so much sense when she's asleep. Imagine how smart she is when she's awake. <laughs> well, I've seen that. I've th- we've seen, because, you know, I, I look back in the past six years or eight years of podcast with Corey, and she's been awake for 60, <laughs> 70% of it. Uh, so Corey uh, is not going to remember a thing about this podcast when she makes it. That's <laughs> I did not have that podcast. Yeah, that that uh, that 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 gives her a lot in common with her own successes. But so, Ed, um, uh, where 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 do you where do you come out on all this? I would add, by the way, that although that was my view of what you know the impact of that uh, uh, postponed summit, the Washington Post has immediately come out with a story from my former colleague John Hudson saying. You know, that there was a dichotomy in the Biden trip and Israel loved it, but the Arab states have turned away from Biden, which I think is a load of shit. But on the other hand, it's the Washington Post. And who am I? So what do you think? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm in much of a position to comment on the latter. I mean, the, the Arab leadership of, of countries like Jordan and Egypt um, has to cater to public opinion. And public opinion was clearly as willing without evidence to judge this an Israeli Air Force attack on that hospital, as some of, unfortunately, the media outlets who rushed to judgment, uh, to erroneous judgment, um, uh, based on expectations, I guess, um, and possibly on prejudice. Um, and so that might have inflamed opinion in the Middle East and caused, you know, Arab leaders to have to appear to be more standoffish to Biden than the situation requires. And this, it is a great pity that the Amman summit was cancelled, but you know, having said that, um, I'm not sure that Mahmoud Abbas, the, the head of the Palestinian Authority, is much of an interlocutor anymore. I don't think he's been one um, uh, for a very long time. And so I don't think, you know, that would have been the beginning of a conversation of what we do the day after. Um, I think that the day after conversation has to be with somebody else. Um, and that's a more complex question. I, I, I firmly believe, and Alon, I'm sure, and I know David, and I'm sure Corey as well, would agree that we don't just need new Palestinian leadership, we also need new Israeli leadership to even begin. Um, but the Biden trip, I think, was uh, was beautifully judged. The, the address he gave was beautifully judged. The um, analogy to 9-11 of America having taken decisions it subsequently regretted um, I think was very well pitched in the context of very genuine, you know, authentic solidarity with the Israelis. And that's exactly what you would have wanted from Biden. And he is very good at that, I think, because he means it. Um, I'm still left with the question, though, of what next? Um, was there a sort of subtext there in conversations with Netanyahu um, and the rest of the Israeli cabinet about um, the nature of the invasion of northern Gaza? Um, was there um, a conversation about the degree to which the human shield, the hostages, 
<clears throat> are going to uh, be prioritized or deprioritized. There, there was clearly some humanitarian um, benefit from uh, this conversation because um, the, the Israelis agreed to allow in aid from the Egyptian side into Gaza. Um, but the bigger questions, you know, I'm just not sure how much chance Biden will have, will have um, had to make progress on. Um, well, what about those things, Alan? Um, uh, uh, you know, what, what about the what comes next? Seems to me Biden went over there. He had a difficult message. You wrote about this in your excellent column uh, in Haaretz uh, uh, today, yesterday, however we time it, uh, in which, you know, he had one message for the public, solidarity, and another message in private, which is stay within the rules of war, keep humanitarian issues at stake. Biden, I don't think, saw any contradiction in those. I think that's they sort of tie to his values. Uh, he delivered both of those messages well, and he came out of the trip with a commitment to uh, some progress on humanitarian, opening up some gateways and a $100 million commitment to humanitarian aid to the Palestinians. And he also came out committed to uh, what he described as or an unprecedentedly large um, uh, request from Congress in support of Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, all the love was reciprocated. So you tell me, what do you think um, in terms of concrete going forward achievements? Well, okay, um, here, here's the thing. The, the big question is, did Biden clarify or, you know, convinced or conditioned his support on Israel refraining from a major ground operation. Um, and I doubt that. Um, he explained, you know, back... In do, you, his, do you think that was an objective of his? Because I, I yeah. don't. I, I think it was containing the ground operation, but I, I didn't get the sense they thought there was an alternative. No, no, no. Okay, I stand corrected. Containing. Okay, limiting the size, scope, and yes. Okay, fine. However, um, you know, Biden sees a link, a direct link between um, escalation in Gaza, meaning vertical ex uh, um, escalation, the intensity, the use of power, firepower, and the uh, uh, the scale of the operation to a horizontal escalation, meaning could this spread into Lebanon or the Israeli-Lebanese uh, border and Israeli Hezbollah backed by Iran. I don't know that he succeeded in doing, I'm not saying he failed, I don't know that he necessarily succeeded in doing that because um, on the one hand, there have been unprecedented things here. I mean, the, the, the uh, immediate dispatch of the US carrier force, uh, carrier strike force, uh, Gerald Ford, the addition of the USS Dwight Eisenhower, 2000 Marines, in a rapid response team, uh, apparently, reportedly, ten thousand—I'm sorry, ten billion dollars worth of munitions and weapons—and then the Secretary of State of the United States of America, Antony Blinken, sitting in for six hours in an Israeli cabinet meeting. I mean, this all suggests that the U.S. is trying to again. I go with your term rather than my uh, erroneous term: uh, um, contain a ground operation. Now, Biden made two, uh, uh, well, he made one seemingly incompatible argument. 
um, that Hamas needs to be eliminated slash destroyed and that Israel should refrain from a long or a prolonged operation in Gaza that would offend, uh, essentially and effectively mean uh, reconquering, reoccupying the Gaza Strip. I don't know how the two are compatible. You cannot eliminate Hamas without a ground operation. A ground operation will not only exact a high toll on casualties, but will be lengthy. Um, the moment it's lengthy, the moment it, 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 is, uh, um, um, it involves a lot of casualties, uh, that's where America's interests, he believes, are being impacted. So the next few days, going back to, uh, uh, to the answer I owe you for a simple question, um, it all depends what happens in the next 96 hours, the next four days. The humanitarian uh, corridors or passages or uh, passings or crossings, call it what you want, uh, there, this is a 24 to 48 hour thing. Does Israel, and to what degree and what uh, and on what scale, does Israel invade the north of the Gaza Strip? That's that's the big question in the next few days. And how is that going to affect possible es uh, uh, um, escalation? There's no silver lining here. This is not going to end in the next uh, uh, week. And so. I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's what I expect in the next few days. You know, we're good enough friends at this point, Alon, that I would never expect a simple or short answer from you to a simple or short question. I take, uh, I take that criticism. <laughs> it's not a criticism. I, I, you know, I, it's uh, not I'm a criticism. Saying, I'm just saying this is a serious podcast, so I tend to go... Uh, um, serious. You know, right. yeah. I, nice. I will stop. I will cease and desist. Well, remember, this is a serious podcast that is known primarily for Corey's laugh. Um, so it's not always, always, always serious. Um, Corey, um, Alon brings up a point, and I think there is a dichotomy in the approach of the Biden administration, not the one that I talked about before, but this one about what exactly do you mean by eliminating Hamas? What exactly do you mean by victory? And, uh, you know, it's, it's a complicated issue. I, I, I was a little troubled when I saw um, Israel's Minister of Defense talking about this being a long war for the reasons Alon was talking about, because there's a lot of downsides to a long war. Um, but is, you know, is a, a long war necessary if your goal is to render Hamas ineffective as opposed to actually eradicating all the, say, 40,000 members of Hamas? What's your view, Corey? Um, the American experience with uh, with counterinsurgency fights like the one Israel is about to be engaged in is that it's impossible to eradicate the threat unless you can also bring substantial parts of the civilian population over onto your side to give you the intelligence to police their neighborhoods. And, and I think that's, that's where the two incompatible parts that I agree with Alon come out of the Biden administration's approach. They do want Israel to be able to eradicate Hamas and other jihadist groups, but they don't want to sign up for what it's actually going to probably have to look like. 
and they're skeptical that Israel can do it in a way that ever brings parts of the Palestinian population over um, to assist in the undertaking. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard because it's hard. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And one is tempted to say, you know, learn the lessons of Vietnam here, Ed. But the reality is, or learn the lessons of the wars in the in in in, in the Gulf. But the reality is, Israel has learned those lessons. I I would assume, or at least been exposed to them, because they've been fighting this fight for so long. Um, well, I am pretty optimistic that Biden's trip. Um, didn't suffer the immediate pitfalls that it might have suffered and had some benefits. Um, uh, Alon's certainly right that the next phases of this will determine how the world views it. Um, Are you concerned, Ed, that this is something that um, spins uh, out of control, um, takes too high a civilian cost, uh, escalates elsewhere in the region? Deeply. I mean, they've said they want to destroy Hamas, not just decapitate the leadership Um, and the the shift of people from northern Gaza to southern Gaza is in preparation for that. We don't know whether that's a full occupation um, um, of of northern Gaza or whether it's a combination of sort of aerial um, and special operations, um, uh, sort of pinprick operations. We don't know which. We don't know what what it, what it is, and I suspect that the, given the relations between Netanyahu and the the military general staff and the intelligence agencies, there's going to be a lot of contentious conversations going on. There is no trust there, and you know, at the best of times, um, when there's a lack of trust, and Corey, you know, I'd be very interested in her view on this, and in Alonso and yours. But uh, at the best of times, during peace, you need trust between civilian leadership and those in uniform. And we're in an extremely sort of high tensile situation um, with no trust. And I think that's prob- that's that's going to complicate these things. But, you know, assuming that they they mean what they say in terms of taking out the, um, the bulk of Hamas, that is going to mean going underground um, and where GPS doesn't work, where um, night vision doesn't work, where there will be booby traps. Where there will probably be um, uh, where there will probably be hostages positioned, human shields, and therefore massively high casualties. Um, are they acceptable? Um, w- will this affect the calculation for sure? Um, but um, um, so um, yes, of course. You know what? Whatever happens um, is going to be watched like a hawk around the world. There is, as we've seen in the reaction to the attack on the hospital yesterday, an expectation of Israeli guilt and and Israeli excess and Israeli callousness in advance of any manifestation of that, partly because of past history and partly because the world is extremely cynical about about Israel and about America's um, consistency on upholding even-handedly the rules-based international order. So... We have people there, you know, in Beijing right now, in in Moscow, who are desperate to see um, manifestation of our double standards on applying international law. Um, And therefore, the reaction to any breach of it is going to be magnified. It's going to be massive. 
So, Alon, in your excellent column, um, I'm going to paraphrase your excellent column. It was something like, um, hold your enemies close, but hold your allies you don't trust closer. Um, in, in, a, in other words, the embrace of the Biden administration, of the Netanyahu administration, could be seen as solidarity, but it could also be seen as, look, we're willing to support you, but here are the rules. And we're going to send the Secretary of State over, we're sending the Secretary of Defense over, we're sending the head of CENTCOM over, now we're sending the president over, we're perfectly willing to support you, but here are the rules. And the, the to me, in, in some respects, the high point of Biden's visit was something else you made reference to, which I thought was actually extraordinary. He made extraordinary remarks, and in the middle of the extraordinary remarks, he said, this is your 9-11, we had our 9-11, we made mistakes during our 9-11, we understand what you're feeling, don't make the same mistakes. And I thought that was trenchant, pointed, and supported what you were saying. What did you think? It was very trenchant, but but uh, I, I don't want to quote myself, you did that uh, um, uh, gentle in a gentlemanly way. Let, let, let's quote Tom Friedman, who in his column in the New York Times, uh, there is a paragraph saying plainly um, that Biden doesn't trust or does not have confidence in Mr. Netanyahu as a rational decision maker. Um, and I think that's a growing sentiment here. And I think that's part of the uh, visit. Now, our listeners need to uh, remember, uh, Netanyahu, I mean, he's not going to resign. I thought he should on the 8th of October. He won't. Um, he doesn't have the, uh, uh, the moral fortitude or the uh, decency or the integrity to do so. However, in order to, to, to broaden the blame and the responsibility, he did two things. Um, he, he set up a war cabinet to which he added an opposition party led by Benny Gantz, a former uh, defense minister and chief of the general staff. And he had Biden come in, and Biden did this on his own volition. It's not like Netanyahu made him come here, obviously. Um, and he came, uh, there was Biden here who cautioned him uh, not to make those 9-11 mistakes. That way, Mr. Netanyahu feels that he can... Um, refrain from making hard decisions, but will always have someone else, as he always does, to blame for them. It's Biden. I wanted to, but Biden, uh, 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 you know, leaned on me and Blinken sat down for six hours in a cabinet meeting. That's unprecedented. Although, by the way, Henry Kissinger sat down for 45 minutes in an Israeli cabinet meeting in 1973. But that was an existential issue. This is not um, and then he's going to say, well, Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot, who is another gentleman who joined the war, the ad hoc war cabinet, who's also a former chief of the general uh, staff of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. He's going to say, I wanted to smash Hamas. I wanted to go into Gaza. I couldn't care less about the Palestinians. However, I was outvoted. Um, now, I, I, I know this is not exactly what you asked, but I, uh, David, but uh, this needs to be said. Um, he cannot be trusted to make decisions uh, in terms of the management of this war. But here we are, and there he is, 
and he is making decisions. I just think that Biden's visit is going to impose, impose I'm sorry, major limitations on his decision-making process. One can only hope. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, that sounds quite plausible to me. I'd be really interested in everybody else's judgment about um, whether uh, the continuation in the cabinet of members uh, who are extremists on Palestinian issues, how that's going to, how the cabinet's going to work, given that decisions about Palestinians are going to be integral to the decisions about the war. Rest assured, Corey, that no decisions on the Palestinians will be made. I think that even Biden and and his close staff, uh, Jake Sullivan and uh, um, Secretary of State Blinken, both of which have a reputation uh, to think broadly and strategically, they don't think that anything is going to be done here in, 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 the ne- on the, in the day after, so to speak, um, as long as this Israeli government is in place. I don't want to go too long. I spoke too much already. Uh, but remember, until two weeks ago, um, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were uh, demonstrating uh, ferociously against Netanyahu's constitutional coup. I happen to think I know there's a certain level of a certain uh, amount of uh, wishful thinking here, but I do, from a sound political analysis, think that this will morph into an anti-Netanyahu war management issue, and you're going to see the same, if not heightened or increased level of demonstrations uh, once this war is over, and that will bring this government down. Then, then... Uh, you know, the, 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 the cabinet, the Palestinian decisions on the Palestinians, uh, only then they can be uh, uh, revisited and hopefully uh, um, uh, made to, with, with, uh, under, under different premises or under a different uh, uh, formula. Um, okay, this is the point in the show where we say to everybody who's in the general public, hey, thanks for joining us. We're really glad you could. And if you like this kind of thing and you want to hear the whole podcast, go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership, pay five bucks a month. It's not too much to support this kind of conversation. Um, and then you can be a member and you can listen to the whole thing or you can come back to this one and listen to what you missed. Uh, for now, if you're not a member, bye-bye. If you are a member, stand by.